You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. For the next 35 minutes, we are giving you information that will help you discover, protect, and share true financial independence. It is the Get Ready for the Future show, record date of January 24th, 2024. We are glad to have you along my name is Scott Inman, along with me, John Shrewsbury, is we're going to answer your questions. We've got questions today, John, about QCDs, old 401ks, how to rebuild your financial life after a divorce, and then how to be on the same page financially with your spouse. Potentially All over the too. map. Yeah, we, we've got some great questions today. Yeah. We thank uh, everyone who sends questions in to us. And remember, if you have one, that is what we are on the air for, to answer them. You can call or text them to us at 501-381-5228. And you can also send, or you can send an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. So let's dive right in. We start with David from Hot Springs. David writes, my mother has an IRA with stock in Nike and Citigroup. She would like to get the money to her church. But which way is more beneficial? Gift it to the church or sell it, get taxes taken out, and then give it to the church. Well, there is a third way here, David, and we're going to get into that. But I think the the first uh, deciding point on whether to sell it or not comes from the standpoint of well, what does the church want or need? But, yeah, I think so, Scott, because few churches around anywhere are set up to manage investments. If you give them stock, uh, they might just hang on to it in a, some type of brokerage account, and then they would sell it at some point in time. And they wouldn't get taxed on on the game because they're a nonprofit organization. But church, typically, when they get gifts like this, if they get stock, they just go ahead and sell it and use the money. So I think the the question, the first question should be, okay, uh, what is uh, the desire of the church in terms of receiving this gift? And then secondly, is there any kind of issue with them hanging on to that stock and and if they wanted to. Yeah, and of course, the second part of that question, John, is David's asking, should they sell it, get taxes taken out, and then give it to the church? Of course, the taxes would not come out if you, uh, at, the, at the point of trade, right? Because this is in an IRA. So the taxes is only when it's withdrawn from the IRA. But we don't know how old your mother is, David, but if she is 70 and a half or older, she can actually send that money directly to the church without having any taxes taken out or without any taxes due through something called a qualified charitable distribution. We mentioned at the top of the show, QCD is the acronym for that. And if she is 70 and a half or above, which used to be the RMD age, when they raised the RMD age, they did not raise the QCD eligibility age. So it's still 70 and a half. And you can actually withdraw and send to a qualified charitable uh, institution up to $105,000 annually. And that number goes up. It's indexed for inflation. So, John, this is a great way to be able to be charitable, but be able to give more because you don't have to worry about the taxation. 
You're right, Scott. And in this situation, uh, David doesn't tell us how much of the stocks that she owns. So if the uh, stock value is over $105,000, she could split it and do part of it in one year and the rest in the next year or however that needs to play out in terms of the value. But the real key here is that any distribution up to that $105,000 per year is excluded from your mom's taxable income. So it just transfers to the church. It's like it didn't even happen as far as the IRS is concerned uh, when you make a qualified charitable distribution. Now, uh, you need to be sure that whoever is the custodian of the stocks, whoever the wherever those are held in account uh, with the company that is taking care of those, they need to be sure to flag that distribution as a qualified charitable distribution. Otherwise, it's going to look like any other uh, distribution of an IRA, and they will send a 1099 out for it. So uh, there's a real nuance there that you have to work with whoever the custodian is of those assets to be sure, Scott, that it is transferred to the church in the proper way. Yeah, we, we do this for lots of our clients who are eligible for QCDs. Uh, they are charitable minded. And we the, the key here is, is you don't want it to hit your bank account. It's got to go directly to the institution. So the check is sent to the church. And I, I would say, too, to David, again, we don't know how old your mom is, but we we do know that if she's not 70 and a half, but she's close to 70 and a half, it would also probably be wise to just hang on and wait a few years. If she's 68, 67 in that range, um, because obviously she's going to be able to take advantage of it once she reaches 70 and a half and be able to give more. So maybe she could work out a, a, a pledge to the church for a future date in that case. And then the other part of it, too, is, is she, uh, David tells us that the, the, the uh, stock is in an IRA. And that's key here, too, because it does not uh, it is not eligible for a QCD if it is still in a 401k. So for other people listening and hearing about this, because that's what we, we, we get these questions and we, we know that people are listening to them and applying them to their own situation. I think that's a key thing to point out too, John, is that you can't do that from a 401k. You're right, Scott. And, and really often here at GenWealth, we will sit down with folks who are in the age range that they qualify for a QCD and we'll ask them about their giving to the church on a regular basis. Yep. And so when we actually do that, you know, this gets into the complexities of the of the tax law. But, uh, you know, if you can't itemize your deductions, then it really doesn't matter what you're giving to the church if it's below your your standard deduction. So if you want to give to the church and exclude that money from your taxable income, you can gift it uh, one time in a year and, and just give that for your tithe and your offering or what, however you do it. Uh, you can actually use the QCD to take the place of your tithe and offering. So the church still gets the same amount of money. They might actually get a little bit more money because yep. you're not having to pay taxes on that money yep. uh, in order to generate it. And you get the tax benefit of it being excluded from your taxable income. Yeah, I think that's a great point because when you think about, let's say if you give $100 a month to your church and you are receiving distributions from your assets social security, all of that, and everything that you're receiving is taxable, then in general, let's say you're in a 20% effective tax rate, you may have to actually withdraw $120 to be able to get close to that $100 deposited into your bank account and then sent on to the church. But if you sent the, if you sent the $120 directly to the institution, then you're not actually being taxed on the money. So in that instance, 
the church would actually get $20 more. I'm really impressed you did all of that on the fly right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not exact. It's a round, right? Yes, but I it's mean, round. I try to keep the math simple. Lots of zeros in it for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. But I think that uh, to, Dave, to David's question, I think if you're looking to gift money from an IRA, I think a QCD is a great way to do that to maximize the amount of money you're going to be able to give to the church. But again, just know it can't be done from a 401k has to be an IRA, and you have to be 70 and a half or older. I would also say to David and his mom, if you need some direction or help with this, we have an office in Hot Springs that can help you with that. Just reach out to us here at GenWealth, and we'd be glad to uh, help you work through the details of that QCD. And David, we're going to ask you to send us an email anyway, because we're going to name your question the question of the week. We thank you for reaching out. We'd love to send you a free Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr for sending that question in and we're going to ask that you email us show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim that prize and if you have a question you can send them in through that email address or call us at 501-381-5228 you can leave a voicemail we'll play that on the air or you can just text to that number as well and we can get your question on the air and answered on the get ready for the future show all right next up on the show it's christina on email, via email, I should say, for people that have accumulated multiple 401ks from job hopping, do you think it's better to leave them where they are or make an effort to pool the funds into a single place? Thank you for the email, Christina. And we've talked about this on a fairly recent Get Ready for the Future show. I think we call them here orphaned 401ks. Yep. And, it, and it does happen quite frequently because today's day and age, you know, I think back to, uh, um, before I was actually working age, but back in the 70s, bef- right when the um, 401k was beginning to get established but wasn't widely utilized, you think about the pensions that were available for uh, employees, and that kept them loyal to their job for a long period of time, right? Because they wanted to become vested in their pension. They wanted to get the pension benefit as large as it could, and that was their retirement. And well, the pension wasn't portable. It wasn't portable, exactly. So when you think about now, the world we live in now, and people do job hop a lot because pensions are hard to come by, especially uh, in the corporate world, unless you have uh, a public job. They're still prevalent there. But So the only way to build wealth for retirement is to take advantage of the 401k, the 401k employer match. And so that can be portable, as John has already alluded to. But many times people are not focused on that when they're job hopping, right? They may, right. There may be a move involved and they've got a lot on their mind there. It may be a new career. There may be some learning that they have to deal with. They're not at all thinking about, well, what do I do with that 401k? So it is quite common for us to see in our meeting rooms, people walk in with three, four, 401k statements from past jobs. It does happen. And and frankly, there's nothing, you know, bad or wrong other than what Scott's just enumerated here about leaving it there. It's one of the four options that you have when you change jobs or uh, have some other disruption as far as your employment is concerned. Uh, you can leave it because you've got familiarity with the plan. Uh, there are limited investment options, but at least you do know about them. Uh, but the the big thing that I see, Scott, is that you're really out of communication about what's going on with the money and the plan. And if they switch fund managers, which they are prone to do from time to time, because there's a fiduciary responsibility on the part of the employer that sponsors the 401k to either do this or have someone do it to evaluate those funds every year. And then they will switch them out. Now, you could argue whether that's a good or bad thing. 
but that is something that can happen and you could find yourself invested in something that you don't know anything about. And so out of sight, out of mind, that is, uh, that's what happens if you leave it at your old employer. Now, obviously you could do that or you could transfer it or roll it over into your new employer's 401k and there's some uh, positives and negatives there as well. Yep, you can consolidate the assets in that way, but obviously if you job hop in the future, you're going to be faced with the same situation. And the other part about it too that we would say about 401ks is while there may be very good investments available in them, it is certainly limited. There's no question about it. The average 401k has about 10 to 12 investment options. Most of them are going to be growth focused, uh, which is probably what you want if you're younger and you have a long time horizon uh, until uh, retirement. But when you do stay inside of an employer plan, they are obviously going to have a pretty big limit on the number of investment options available. And you could have questionable access to the funds in your new employer plan. It just would depend on the summary plan uh, description uh, that you would be able to have access to. If you don't have it, you can get it through your HR department, but you need to understand the terms of that plan and what rules govern it. Because again, to your point, the, the employer has a fiduciary responsibility when it comes to that plan and there could be a lot of restrictions associated with it. Absolutely. The third option that you've got, if you have a 401k that is left behind, you could cash it out. Now, I will tell you of all the options, this is probably the worst, unless you have some huge, huge financial emergency. And obviously, you got to do what you got to do. But man, you get killed on taxes and penalties and on future growth of that money if you use that money to extinguish that financial fire that you might have. You've got the taxes, you've got a possible early withdrawal penalty if you are prior to age 55 in a 401k plan, you've got the lost investment opportunity. Scott, one of the things that I remember doing very early on in my investment career is I had a young lady who had some money and we'd invested it and done pretty well with it. And she came in and she had decided that she wanted to take that money out in order to, uh, I think, put a down payment on a house, if I remember right. And I simply just took that money and, and took the dollar amount and plugged it into a compound interest calculator. And I said, okay, I want you to understand what you're losing if you go do this. And it was like, I don't know, uh, $500,000 or something like that, that that money would grow to from, the, from where she was at. And she was in her 20s all the way to retirement. If she'd just leave it alone, it would have grown to... Uh, some gigantic amount of money, and it changed her thought process about it immediately. She began to save, and she later put the down payment on the house from her savings and didn't do the knee-jerk reaction, which is what a lot of people do with 401k plans when they're gone. Uh, when they're gone from a job, they go, oh, that's easy money. I'll just go get that and deal with this. That can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars of retirement savings into the future, it, it frankly threatens your financial independence. Yeah, cash it out option is not one that I personally have ever recommended. Now, I'm not saying that you wouldn't have a situation where you'd have to have it. There might be a medical emergency. There might be a true emergency, but there, those are few and far between. Uh, down payment on a house, not a good option. Uh, taking it on vacation, not a good option because of the threat to your financial independence, because of the immediate taxation and penalties that would occur. So, least likely to be your best option there. And then the final option is roll it over to an IRA. So we talked about rolling it into the new plan. You could also 
roll it into an IRA that could be self-directed. You could manage on your own or you could in, uh, incorporate the uh, advice and relationship of a financial advisor on those assets once they're in an IRA. And the ben- benefit here, number one, would be there'd be nearly unlimited investment options. You wouldn't have that restriction like you do in your new employer plan. The IRA, typically, we call it a lockbox for your future rollovers, too, because that one single IRA can receive another rollover from your 401k if you leave that new employer sometime in the future. And you also can plan, uh, create a retirement income strategy out of your consolidated assets. You know, she mentioned that, John Christina, earlier about uh, consolidating. And I think that's a key benefit here. A lot of people we see want to do that because they have not, and, and they, you know, they, the opposite analogy there is, is I don't want all my eggs in one basket. Well, it's not really the same basket, right? Or, right. or you could say it another way, it's all the same basket. The, inve- the investments here, the investments there, the choice you have, uh, it, it, if it's in a 401k and an IRA, you're still able to, once you consolidate into one IRA, access those those diversified investments. Yeah, I bet if you lift the hood on 401k investments and look at IRA investments, you can see some similarities there between yep. what you have there and what you have in your IRA, unless you go and just put it all on red and invest it in one stock or something like that, which we would never recommend that somebody do. But obviously, there is lots of things about rolling it over to an IRA that make it very attractive. Something else I want to mention, Scott, is for folks who have small amounts of money in their 401k plans and they're tempted to go, oh, let me do this or let me do that with it. Let me make a suggestion to you. Convert that to a Roth IRA because a Roth IRA will grow on a tax deferred basis, tax free basis. And the income that you get from that Roth IRA when you retire is 100% tax free. If let's say you have $10,000 in an IRA somewhere more than likely, you can probably absorb the tax on that $10,000 in your refund. And now you have that $10,000 set up in for it to grow tax-free from now until you retire. And if you're young and you have a small balance, I can't think of anything better for you to do than to convert that to a Roth IRA. And you can do that straightway from the 401k plan into a Roth IRA. You do the conversion, you pay the tax on the $10,000 that's hypothetically being talked about here, uh, you pay that tax, and then you get years and years and years of tax-free growth. We talked about a lot there. If you'd like to review your options, and this is for Christina or anyone listening today, and there is a qualifying event happening anytime you leave your employer, that there is a decision that you have the option to make uh, with your old 401k, there is also many times a qualifying event at age 59 and a half. Not every 401k allows this, but most do. They allow an in-service distribution, which is also a non-taxable rollover uh, into an IRA when you reach age 59 and a half. If you'd like to know your options, if you're in one of those two boats, you recently left an employer or you've reached age 59 and a half and you wonder, what should I do with my 401k? You can text 401k to 501-381-5228 and get your copy of a brochure we have on your options for your old 401k plan. So do that right now. Text the word 401k to, it's not really a word, some numbers in a letter, 401k (laughs) 
to 501-381-5228 to get that brochure. One of these days, we'll, we don't have time today, but we'll talk about why is it called a 401k? Because people are, you know, it's, it sounds like a candy bar, right? Remember yeah, that Remember that video we did a few years ago with the kids and we asked them I questions did. about finances? Yeah. And one of them was, what is, a, what is a 401k? And one of them said a candy bar. I think they said a candy bar. Yeah. Thank you for your question, Christina. On to the next. This one's from Trevor in Bentonville. I'm in my 50s and trying to repair my retirement savings after a divorce. What advice do you have specifically for people like me who feel like they got the rug swept out from under them as they should be more confident about nearing retirement? Trevor, thanks for that. And yes, that can be a big hit that you didn't see coming uh, depending on how the assets were uh, settled upon, we'll call call that. And we don't know that. But typically, because of the question, John, I think he he probably was subject to some sort of order that uh, that that gave some of the investments to his ex-spouse. Yeah, there are no set rules in how assets are divided up. It is totally 100% up to the parties and the judge to reach an agreement about that. Now, sometimes the judge comes in and goes, look, this is what I'm going to do because this is the fair thing to do. And judges get to do that because they wear the black robe. But there are times when they will split a 401k plan in some proportion. Usually it's 50-50, but in some proportion. But all the other assets come into play here as well. The judge is making sort of a global decision about what is fair in splitting those assets. And so what you can have is a situation where someone becomes subject to what is called a qualified domestic relations order, a QDRO, or as we call it, a quadro in in uh, investment vernacular. Uh, and that is an agreement between the parties that one gives up a portion, maybe half of their 401k to their ex-spouse. Now, they what they actually do is they the 401k company is required by law to create a, a an additional account in the name of the ex-spouse so that money transfers over and even though that ex-spouse has never been an employee of that company they have a 401k account at that company because of the qualified domestic relations order now the distribution of that money to the individual they can roll it over into an ira or they can pay taxes on that money and take it out. Uh, but that is how a uh, qualified domestic relations order uh, works out. It is more common that in where you've got inequity in assets. I, I think there's oftentimes where, you know, he's got this and she's got that and, and she doesn't have as much as he does. So we're going to chop on the 401k to make things equal or are fair, if you will. Uh, but there is a, a whole process that the courts go through and the divorce attorneys go through to do a qualified domestic relations order, but it does hurt. I've seen people go through this. Trevor in Bentonville, I, I feel for you because you're getting hit at in your 50s and you're close to retirement. And that really does scramble the situation yeah and on the other side of this trevor we don't know how you sit currently like what what asset level you're at when you plan to retire how much income you're going to need but i would begin to first say that it's time to update your plan because this actually could create an opportunity if you think about it too and i know that's hard to believe but i mean what i mean by that is this if you had a plan 
And if you didn't, I would say create one. But this is an opportunity to update your plan. If you had a retirement income plan that was built around a household, two people, two spouses in retirement, then it is likely that you're not going to need as much income in retirement if you remain single now as opposed to when you were married. The other thing I would say is when it comes to the opportunity is who was the higher earner in the marriage? Were you working and your spouse stayed at home or made a lot less than you and you were supporting the household? If that was the case, then you obviously have fewer expenses, hopefully, with the spouse being gone from the household. So, And you're still making, we assume, the same amount of money. So that can create more margin with the opportunity being you could have more money to contribute to begin to catch up on those retirement savings. And Scott, I would also say, Trevor, don't allow this to compound your problems. So your mindset about this, how you react to this, feeling behind the eight balls, so to speak, uh, could compound your problems if you're not careful. Uh, So what you want to do is you want to say, okay, it is what it is. I am where I am. I'm going to take charge of the situation. And I would really greatly encourage you to reach out to a financial advisor. You can reach out to us here at GenWealth if you'd like to, uh, but reach out to a financial advisor and sit down and say, okay, I am kind of starting over to some extent, but I'm starting over with half the money that I I used to have. How can we get back to a good spot? Uh, Because it is all about creating income for you at retirement. It is really about replacing your paycheck when you're ready to quit working. Mm. So you need to think about it in those terms and say, okay, this is where I'm at. This is the job that I've got to do. You can't change it. You can't go back and undo the quadro. The court's not going to allow that to happen, but there is still time for you to work. If you're in your 50s, you may not be retiring until 65 or 70 years old, quite frankly. And, And a lot of people are putting off retirement for a long period of time simply because they just don't know what else they're going to do. So let's take a look at the situation, assess everything, and start again because time is of the essence. I've never been through this, John, but when you sit and think about it, it can have the same effects as a huge market loss on your assets, right? Because if you're focused on the account value alone, we had people like that coming into the office in 2022. I have 25% less than I had at the beginning of the year, right? If they bring in their statement from their 401k And, and Trevor's in the same boat, but you can't focus on the account value. You need to focus on a plan for income and it and it may not be as bad as you, as you think once you have that plan in place. All right, our final question of the day from Remy in Little Rock. My wife says I make her feel broke, <laughs> but I try to remind her we are just ultra accumulators. We make a combined 275 k but we max out our 401Ks, backdoor Roth IRAs, 529 plans, 15-year mortgage, etc. How can I help her feel wealthy even in our messy middle 30s. I've told her if we stick with the plan, we will be in a great spot by 40. But she responded with, quote, we want to enjoy our lives until then. I'm torn between the now and the later. Man, I get it, Remy. And and certainly you got to come to the same page with your spouse on your financial goals. And uh, people are built differently. And some are more thrifty. Some like to spend. Some want to enjoy the moment. But I do. it does make me think about... Um, something that happened in my personal life about 20 years ago uh, with my father. And at the same time, I had a coworker that had given me a copy of the book called The Millionaire Next Door. And you probably read that. I have. There have been uh, several books written in this manner, but it's basically a book that is 
uh, an investigation, if you will, into who is the average millionaire in the United States. What do they do? What does it look like? And that study revealed that they didn't really make as much money as you might think. They didn't inherit it from their family. They were just ultra thrifty. They, they drove the beat up car. They had the smallest house on the block. They bought their clothes at Sam's Club instead of Dillard's, right? Or wherever you want to say, not an upscale retailer. The idea being is they, they were the ultra accumulator that Remy is talking about, and they didn't necessarily spend a lot of money in the here and now. So I read that book, and, and, and at that point in my life, I was about 30 years old, and my dad was about 60 going through colon cancer treatment. And so I was faced with this, uh, this balance, if you will, or trying to create a balance of here's what the book is telling me to do to become a millionaire and have a great retirement and at the same time, my dad has the mortality of his life facing him at 60 years old. So I'm thinking I could scrounge together all these pennies, have my million dollars, get colon cancer and pass away and never get to use it. So that was a great struggle for me. And I think it, in me, John, it created a great balance. And it's not impossible to do both. No, yeah, these folks make a lot of money. Yeah. And so let's kind of walk through and take the emotion out of it. And take a look at the math. If you think about two hundred seventy-five thousand uh, dollars of gross income, you take away forty-six thousand dollars for four hundred one k's. That leaves you two hundred twenty-nine thousand dollars. You take away another fourteen thousand dollars total for Roth IRAs. If you can put that much in there for uh, the Roth IRAs, that still gets you down to about two hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Now we didn't really talk about college savings or anything of that nature, but you still have a fairly good bit of money. There is math that you can go through to determine how much you need to actually be saving into these things. The, I'll remind everybody that the government does not know your financial plan. They just simply put limits on the accounts that you can contribute to. So that's not necessarily a guide for you. That's just the limit and maxing it out is just a badge of honor that you get to talk about at the at the you know coffee shop or something of that nature. What you've got to do is you've got to do the work of planning and get some balance in this. I understand where both of you are coming from. You're wanting to take advantage of earning power and the power of compound interest and all of those types of things. That makes a lot of sense. But you also want to enjoy yourself. You don't want to strain at every penny and save and save and save and never enjoy your kids or your life or, or travel or anything of that nature. And I do believe that balance is the key. Scott. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, on one hand, and you've said this before, John, that nobody has ever arrived at retirement and come into our office and said, man, I saved too much for retirement, right? right. You, you really can't save too much for retirement. Although, you can miss some things that you could enjoy along the way because you're saving for retirement. I think that's the point here is until you have a plan and you know where you're going to end up at a certain retirement date, a certain retirement age, how do you know if you're saving enough or too much or if you could maybe you know, let go of the purse reins a little bit and spend a little more and maybe pull back on your retirement savings a little bit? It all is answered through a plan with an advisor that is working a written financial plan, not just talking to you about investments, not just talking to you about a magic number at the end of your work life, but showing you on paper, on purpose, how much retirement income you could get on a monthly basis after you have finished work. Because again, we talked about it in one of the earlier 
questions, John. It is all about replacing your paycheck. Yeah, and I think you have to ask yourself some basic questions. When do you want to retire? Now, I know people who are fastidious savers, they want to retire as soon as possible. Let's be balanced about this decision, too. When is it practical for you to retire? Because I will tell you, early retirement sounds good to everybody, but when you start stretching those dollars out, you put a lot of stress on that portfolio to support you throughout your retirement, and sometimes it breaks in the later years. And so you've got to be careful about that. But when do you want to retire? What is your required and your desired income? Those are two very critical questions. Desired income is how much you want to spend on uh, just a number of things, just discretionary spending. But required income is the money that you need every month to pay the bills. And think about it. What does food cost? What does clothing cost? What does transportation cost? What does housing cost? What is insurance and taxes? How much do you need every month to be able to be okay? There is one uh, tranche of money, if you will, that we call required income. That needs to be taken care of with guaranteed income assets. But your required income could be almost anything. So you want to be reasonable about that. Create some balance and get a plan together. And as far as the mortgage is concerned, let me say this. You have to ask yourself, do I want to pay this off quickly I think the big objective there is just get it paid by retirement yeah. uh, or get it paid earlier if you can, but definitely by retirement. That is the bell that indicates it is almost the end of the Get Ready for the Future show for this week. And time for our final thoughts. John, we had some great questions uh, this week. What what do you have on tap for your final thought? Well, the, the variety of questions here really points out the fact that, that money is complex. A lot of people love to make money simple. Oh, well, yeah, I just put it in my 401k plan. Oh, I just go uh, online and invest it in some index fund or whatever the case may be. That's about this much of a much, much bigger picture and a much bigger question. We've been through all kinds of detail here. We talked about qualified charitable distributions, a very complex move that has to be that can be done in your 70s to avoid taxation on money that you would give to a charitable institution. We've talked about things like uh, having multiple 401ks. How do I deal with this? I'm just going to leave them alone and bury my head in the sand is not a strategy. You need to be sure that you take care of the little things throughout your life when it comes to your money to allow you to enjoy the bigger things when you retire. For my final thought, you know, when I think about how many times we talked about building a plan, Uh, updating a plan if you've gone through a life change like a divorce the key question that always resonates with me when we talk on the radio is do you have a plan and do you have an advisor who is going to create a written financial plan for you not just talk about investments if you'd like to walk through the gen wealth ready to retire process even if you're nowhere near retirement at least you have the end goal on paper on purpose just give us a call Call the Get Ready for the Future Show hotline. You can call that number or you can call us uh, to set up an appointment with a GenWealth advisor. The number is toll-free, 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. And that is all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future Show. We thank you for being with us. And if you have a question, remember, it's easy to get it to us. Just call or text to 501-381-5228 or send an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. 
If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LP. PL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial. 